You're listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Eric Erdman. Well, Happy New Year's Eve, Sunnybrook family. Uh, Grateful and thankful to be able to worship and gather this way as we ring in a new year. And I know a lot of us have spent some time Christmas shopping, so the last thing you want to talk about or hear about today is shopping. But if you've ever shopped with a little kid before, you know how persistent they are at just getting one thing. Mom and Dad, I just need one thing. And no matter how many times you say no or how you navigate around the store, around every aisle is a trap that just lures the kids in. Video games, toys, books, clothes, whatever. Mom, I just need one thing. Dad, just one thing. And this kid that you had to help tie their shoes and zip their coat before you left the house is now negotiating with you with a, at an FBI level status for just this one thing. One thing and my room will never be dirty. One thing and I'll walk the dog, clean the car. One thing, I'll do the dishes. I just need this one thing. Why do I start with that? I start with that today because as we step into a new year, 2024, I want to pose a question. What would it look like for us to seek God out intentionally for just one thing this new year? What would it look like for us to persistently, intentionally seek God out for one thing? See, since the beginning of the early church, even before the church started and was formed and grew, while Jesus was walking and healing and teaching on this earth, people were asking the same question. In fact, an expert in the Old Testament law, there was 613 laws in the Old Testament. An expert in them knew them backwards and forwards, comes to Jesus and asks this question. Out of all of the things we can say and shouldn't say and be and not be and do and not do, out of all of these, which one thing is most important? He says, teacher, which of these commandments is greatest? And Jesus replies to him, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says this one thing out of all of these is most important. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This one thing to God is most important. In other words, it's, it's our devotion towards God. It's this one thing that he wants most is our devotion. And yet, If we have an enemy, and scriptures say that we do, his strategy might not be to to get us to believe that God's word is not true and that God is not good, but to take us from the one thing, to derail us from the one thing, his strategy might be to distract us. Because distraction keeps us from devotion. And so what that might look like is, is as we follow God and pursue God and want to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, That enemy says, yeah, go ahead, but just don't forget, you got a baby on the way. And when the baby comes, you got to get a new car because you can't fit your whole family in the car you got now. And so that means a new car payment. And that means you got to reorganize the budget. And and don't forget, you got a a promotion coming from your company, but with that comes a transfer. And so now you got to buy a new house and and sell your old one. And you got to make new friends and find, find, say bye to old friends and and don't forget that you're in college and you're halfway through and you got to pick the right major and, so you can get the internship and get the job and make the money, make your parents proud. And, and maybe you've got, got something going on in your life. You're not married, but you're dating someone and get serious. And, 
So now you're meeting their friends and you're meeting their friends and family. You think, are we going to get engaged? And nowhere in this did you ever believe that God was not good, that his word was not true, but you just kind of lost him in the midst. Just kind of got distracted. And I'm here to say that if the enemy's main strategy is not to convince us God's word is not true and his word is not good, but the one thing to pursue God, to love him, to be fully devoted to him, his distraction, to derail us from one thing, he'll distract us with many things. And so some of you might say, but these things that are happening, they're, they're real. And, and some of them need to happen in my life. And I understand that. And that's true. But as we enter into a new year, what would it look like for us to ask the question, what would it look like to intentionally, persistently seek God for one thing? And to help us to find that, I want to ask us four one thing questions. And my desire is that at the end of our time here today, we'll have one God-centered thing in our life that we're going to pursue, that we're going to seek God for in 2024. So the first one thing question I would ask you is this. What one thing do you desire from God? What one thing do you desire? In the Old Testament, King David is known as a man after God's own heart. And perhaps he's known as a man after God's own heart because if he could desire one thing in Psalm 27, here's what he desires. One thing I ask for from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing I ask, I may dwell in the house of the Lord. David's desire, his one desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, my one desire when times are good is the Lord. My desire when times are bad is the Lord. My one desire is God, to dwell in his temple forever. And scholars will, will agree that this Psalm 27 was likely written in a time in David's life when he was in his younger years and he's fleeing from King Saul. If you don't know, King Saul was the king of Israel before David and there was a time where Saul was dedicated. He was motivated to hunt David down and kill him. And so if this Psalm is written at a time when David is on the run, hiding in caves, bouncing from town to town, think about all the things he could have desired. He could have desired safety, justice, for Saul's downfall, uh, mercy, peace, uh, for all of this to just end. And yet in the midst of all this, with laser-like focus, David says, there's one thing I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's one thing I desire, and it's to the presence, it's the goodness of my God. And so I want to ask you, as we step into this new year, what's one thing you desire from God? What's one thing you desire? About Three weeks ago, I was talking with someone and with tears in their eyes, they were sharing how desperately they wanted their brother to know Jesus. That they wanted him to come into relationship with the Savior of the world. And maybe that's true for you. You have somebody in your life who, who doesn't know Jesus, is far from him. And your one desire this year is for them to come into relationship with the Savior of the world. Maybe for others of you, you desire a relationship and you're not married yeah, everyone around you is getting married and you're like, I love it for them, love it for her, hate it for me, love it for them. And they're posting on Instagram and you're liking it, but really you're kind of despising all the posts that you're seeing. And your one desire this year is, God, I need you to be enough for me. I, I would love a relationship. I'm seeking it out. I'm praying for it. But my one desire, God, is I need to be satisfied with you this year. 
Others of you, you're going to have a, a relationship. You're, maybe you're married, and you're going to take an honest look at it. Not a shameful look, not, not one where you look with contempt, but, but a graceful look, and you realize, hey, this is not where we want it to be. This is not where we desire to be, and quite honestly, it's not where God wants it to be. And so your one desire going into this new year is, is Lord, would you move in my heart? Would you heal my heart? Would you move in the life, the heart of my spouse? Would you restore our union together? God, our one desire is that you would heal our marriage. You'd bring us back to loving each other. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's, we're later in the life and we've gone out and we've hunted. We've, we've provided. We've climbed the ladder. We've made a name for ourselves in the business world. But with that, there's been costs. We've had to work weekends, long nights, miss family time, miss sporting events, miss holidays. And your one desire this year as you step into a new year is, is to live life, not according to the busyness and the patterns of this world, but to live life according to the rhythms and the grace of God. And so your desire is, God, I need to slow down. I want to enjoy you. I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy my loved ones. But one, one thing as you step into this new year, do you desire most? And then the second question I would ask is this. What one thing do you lack in relationship with God? What one thing do you lack? In Mark chapter 10, there's this interesting encounter between Jesus and a rich ruler. And other gospel accounts will tell us that this rich ruler is also young. And so by every standard of the American dream, this guy has made it. He's got power. He's got wealth. He's got influence. He's got status, prestige. He's got everything he could want. He's got a maid. And yet, Mark 10 tells us that this man comes before Jesus and he falls on his knees and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and he says, You know, you got to know and obey the commandments. And, and the, the ruler says, All of these I've done. Check, check, check. I've done them all since I was a youth. And Jesus, in love, he looks past the outward obedience of the man and he looks into his heart. And he sees a problem that exists that this man didn't even know existed. And Jesus says something to him that he doesn't say to anyone else. And he says, looks at him, and he loved him. He's about to say something incredibly difficult. The thing this guy lacks to inherit eternal life. The answer to his question, he looks at him and loved him. And said, one thing you lack, he said, go. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come, follow me. Jesus is saying the answer to your question, the answer to the one thing you lack to inherit eternal life is your wealth. And Jesus isn't saying wealth is inherently bad. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. But what it becomes bad is when it takes away from the one thing, full devotion, loving God. When anything comes in the midst of that, that's when it becomes a problem. And for this man, the one thing he lacked was full devotion to, to, to God because of his wealth. And we see his response. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. What's one thing you lack? I can be honest, this, this has rang true in my life multiple times where I've taken an honest look and realized there's something that I lack to move forward with God, to grow in relationship with him. But I oftentimes step back in fear because if you and I lack something, it takes sacrifice. It takes hard work to get, just like this man, to go and sell everything he has. This is a sacrifice. But yet Jesus says, if there's one thing you lack, it's going to take work. It's going to take sacrifice, but it's going to benefit you spiritually. 
And so what's one thing you lack in your relationship with God? I was talking with my best friend a couple weeks ago, and we were kind of examining his life, and he was just struggling. He's got a quiet time in the Word. He's in prayer, and he was having a hard time. He knows God loves him. He believes God loves him, but he was having a really hard time feeling God's love, like just intimately knowing and feeling God's love. And so we were kind of asking some questions, looking at his life, and we're asking different things. And I get to the point, I said, how's your worship of God? He says, that's a good question. Honestly, not good. He's like, I'm having a really hard time focusing when we sing and worship through our songs. I'm distracted, and I'm having a really hard time viewing my whole life as worship. I, I can't give God glory. I'm, I'm not, I don't find happiness in him throughout the day. And I said, that's, I think that's the one thing that you lack. And maybe for some of you watching today, that's the one thing you lack is, is just worship. Giving God glory, giving God honor, praising him with your song, praising him with your life. Others of you, maybe the minute you wake up to the time your, your head hits the pillow at night, you're just, your schedule is jam-packed full. And the one thing you lack is time with the creator God who loves you, who knows you, who wants to spend time with you, who desires being with you. And the one thing you lack is simply time in his word, in prayer, in, in conversation, in communion with him. Others, you lack accountability. You lack somebody in your life that can speak the truth and love, and, and you find yourself drifting into sin and, and drifting away from those who love you, and you need somebody in your life that can step in and say, I see this in you. This is not good. And because I love you, I'm going to call you higher, and I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to hold you accountable. But what's one thing you lack. I was at the DMV about a year ago, and I had to renew my driver's license. I waited till one of the very last days I could do that because who likes to go to the DMV in their free time? And there's an older lady ahead of me, and she gets her ticket, and then I get my ticket. I realize our wait time is about an hour and a half. And so we sit down. I'm kind of nodding asleep in my chair. I realize she goes up, to, goes up to the counter, and her and the lady behind the counter are talking back and forth. And then all of a sudden, I hear, are you kidding me? She's just outrageous. She's just mad, and they go back and forth, and the lady behind the counter eventually says, I'm sorry, ma'am. I know this is what you want, but you need all the paperwork, and there's one thing you're missing. And because she lacked one thing, she couldn't get what she desired most. What's one thing you lack going into 2024? Then the third question I would ask you is this. What one thing do you need to let go of? What one thing from your past what one thing in your life that's taking and sucking energy from you do you just need to let go of? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about knowing Christ. And not just like this head knowledge where you can spout off facts and, and appear smart, but this intimate, heartfelt knowing Jesus, sharing in his sufferings, like knowing him. And then a couple verses later, in verse 13 and 14, he says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But one thing I do, and you can almost just see this action, forgetting what is behind, letting go, and straining towards what is ahead. What do you need to let go of? For Paul, we, we don't know for sure what he's talking about here, but we can kind of take an edu educated guess. This was a guy who, before Paul was Saul, a persecutor of the church, hunting down Christians, killing them, 
throwing them in jail. Maybe this is what he's saying. I got to let go of it and I got to strive towards Jesus. Paul was whipped five times, 40 lashes across the back, beaten with a rod three times. Maybe he's saying, this pain that I've had for suffering for Jesus, I got to let it go and keep striving towards Jesus. He was shipwrecked three times, thrown in prison, stoned half to death and left for dead. Maybe this is what he's saying. I've got to let this go. For you, what do you need to let go? There's a movie, Indiana Jones. Uh, If you've never seen it, Indiana Jones is a professor of archaeology. And he's most famously known for his seeking treasure, his going after artifacts. And in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, him and his father and this, this woman, you don't know if she's evil or good yet. She's kind of playing both sides. They're going for the cup of life. And as they go for the cup of life, there's this, this earthquake and the ground shakes below their feet and the cup of life falls in this crack and so does the woman. And she's down there and Indiana Jones grabs her hand and she's got this wild look in her eyes where she's reaching for this cup and she's being held on by Indiana Jones and she keeps looking and Indiana Jones tells her, my grip is slipping, honey, I can't hold on any longer. And this wild look, she continues, she looks at Indiana Jones and she looks back at the cup and she reaches for it one more time and her hand slips and she falls in the crack and she plummets into the abyss. And then the ground shakes again and Indiana Jones now falls in the crack and his father grabs his hands. And Indiana Jones now finds himself in the same spot and he's reaching for the cup because this is the cup of life. This is what's going to give him fame and wealth and power and influence. Like, if you're an artifact goer, you got to get this. And he's right there and he's reaching. And his father holding his hand says, you got to let it go. You're slipping. I'm going to lose you. And so Indiana Jones takes one last look at the cup. Then he looks back up at his father. And in this, this moment, this, this movie-stopping, tear-jerking moment, his father looks at Indiana and says his name twice. He says, Indiana, Indiana, let it go. And he looks away from the cup and he grabs both hands onto his father's hands and his father rips him up out of the crack and saves his life. And in a way, this is what Paul is saying. Some of us are holding on to things in the past. We're holding on to these things that are keeping us captive, keeping us bondage, and we've got to let go. And we've got to take both hands and hang on to Jesus, the one who can truly give us life. And so the question is, what do you need to let go of? Maybe for some of us, there's something in our life, there's, there's a past hurt that we've just harbored and we've just let grow up resentment and, and bitterness and judgment and, and unforgiveness in us and, and we've got to just let it go. It's not that we forget what happened, but we say, this has no power over me anymore. I'm letting it go. I'm freeing myself from this. Others of us, we, we have something in our past, a sin that just keeps happening and, and we keep falling into it and we go before a holy and just God who is faithful to forgive us our sins if we confess and we say, I'm confessing, this has no power over me anymore through the Holy Spirit. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. Others of us, we, we have something in our life, something we tried to do and we failed And it stunk. And instead of letting this be something that happened, we let this become who we are. And we've internalized it. And we need to let go of that lie from the evil one and receive who God says we are over our lives. What one thing do you need to let go of? And then the fourth question I would ask you is this. What one promise do you need to claim? What one promise do you need to claim? I mentioned King David earlier 
when he was just a young shepherd boy, he was anointed to be king over all of Israel. When he was a young shepherd boy, God comes and he makes this promise over David's life. But then the next few years are pretty tumultuous and and it seems like every time David takes a step forward, he has to take two steps back and he's being hunted down by King Saul consistently and he's making his way, hiding in caves, bouncing town from town. And I've got to imagine if I'm David, I'm starting to question the promise of God over my life. God said I would be a ruler. I would reign. I would have authority. I'm king over Israel. And yet it seems like everything around me is crumbling. Everything around me is crushing. And so what David does one time, he's being chased by King Saul. And so he decides I'm going to hide amongst the Philistines. And the Philistines were the enemies of the Israelites, King David's people. And so now he's stuck between a king trying to kill him and the Philistines trying to kill him. And at this time where you think he would start to question God's faithfulness and the promises over his life, in Psalm 56, this is what David writes. The very day I call for help, the tide of battle turns. My enemies flee. This one thing I know, God is for me. I am trusting God. Oh, praise his promises. I am not afraid of anything mere man can do to me. Yes, praise his promises. This one thing I know, this promise I'm claiming, God is for me. And if you've ever made a pinky promise with a young child before, you know the look of trust that they have in your eyes, that you're going to come through, you're going to fulfill the promise. And you and I in our humanness, we can't keep every promise. We're going to fall short. But yet what would it look like for us going into a new year, knowing God's promises in his word with childlike faith, we would say, God, I'm claiming this promise heading into this year. I'm trusting you that this is going to be true of my life. And maybe you don't know many promises. Maybe you do. But what I want to do is I I wrote some promises from God's word down, and I want to share them with you in my desire being that one of these might just capture your heart heading into a new year. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. In 1 John chapter 1, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And Romans 8 says, God works for good. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In Hebrews 13, God promises to never leave you nor forsake you. The Hebrews writer says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Psalm 46, the psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah says, He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8. For I'm convinced, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will ever ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then John chapter 3. If you're entering into this new year, and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship, you're not walking with God. In John chapter three, 
God promises eternal life through his son, Jesus. For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What promise from God's word you need to claim with childlike faith that God will be faithful. And as we enter into the new year, my desire for our time today was to have one God-centered thing in our life that we would step into. And so spend some time in prayer as we step into 2024, asking yourself, what one thing do I desire? What one thing do I lack? What one thing is keeping me back from growing spiritually in my relationship with God? What one thing do I need to let go of? What one thing has had power over me that I say no more? And then what one promise do I need to claim? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, thank you for a new day. Thank you as we look forward with hope to a new year. It reminds us in this time of your sovereignty, God, that you are a God of new beginnings. And so thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And that in him, we can find forgiveness. We can receive mercy. And in him, we can find life. And as we head into a new year, God, we ask that it'd be a year that we grow in devotion to you. The one thing, we love you with our heart, all our soul, all our mind. Draw us closer to you in this new year. Conform us more to the image of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.